Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing A Rogue to Remember by Emily Sullivan. This was just recently published in 2021 and we did get a free advanced reader copy from NetGalley for our review. This is Emily Sullivan's debut novel and is the first book in the League of Scoundrels series. Yeah, so it is, it's the first book in a series where we're looking forward to the next one already. I'm going to be completely honest. <laughs> Guys, sometimes we keep our chill for a little bit. This was really good. <laughs> <laughs> we both really, really liked it. Um, and we uh, obviously will get into why later. But first, we have to read the jacket. So, Lane, you want to start us off? Sure, I guess I can wait to start gushing. <laughs> After enduring five interminable seasons, Lottie Carlyle has had enough of shallow London society, her boring little life, and her uncle Alfred's meddling. When he demands she accept a proposal by the end of next season or else he will choose a husband for her, she devises a plan, create a scandal shocking enough to make her unmarried and spend her spinsterhood far enough away in the countryside where no one will ever recognize her. Alec Gresham hasn't seen Lottie since he left his childhood friend without a word five years ago. So he's not surprised to find her furious when he appears on her doorstep, especially bearing the news he brings. Her uncle is dying, her blasted reputation is still intact, and Lottie must return home. As they make the journey back to her family estate, it becomes increasingly clear that the last five years hasn't erased their history, nor their explosive chemistry. Can Lottie look past her old heartache and trust Alec? Or will his secrets doom their relationship once again? What do you think of the jacket, Meg? It's okay. It, honestly, it's not a bad jacket. Um, I think what is missing is Alec's profession. I think that's pretty huge. And I also... To me, this is a little bit lacking in spirit. Yeah, I agree. You've got the hero, you've got the heroine, you've got the main conflict, you've got their motivations. Like, I'm pretty okay with all of that. But I, this was a very cute and charming book. And Alec, in particular, is a very charming and slightly different take on the archaeologist, archaeologist spy hero we love so much. <laughs> and I just wish some of that had come through in the jacket. I I love I love how you're like this is a different take on the archaeologist spy. <laughs> I'm sorry, he's reluctant. That is a new adjective. It's true. Um, please stop spoiling my random number summary. Actually, Lane. Oh, I am so sorry. You did this to me last week. All right, so Meg, what was your 34 word summary? Here you go. Lottie and Alec fell in love five years ago. Then he left without saying goodbye. When the reluctant spy shows up to ruin her ruination scheme, she's not inclined to cut him any slack. Yup. <laughs> See? Reluctant, reluctant spy. <laughs> you um, got reluctant spy in there, which I really appreciated. Yeah. Because as we said, that is what was missing. Um, and I do like the phrase ruination scheme. I I was really into that myself. So it's one thing that I just loved about Lottie, actually. And I think you talk about it in your summary, Lane. So what was your 34-word summary? 
Lottie chooses her own destiny, but the only man she's ever loved is sent to stop her. Alec disappeared from Lottie's life because he thought it'd be best for her. And he's a spy. (laughs) So, dear listener, you may have noticed that we both really pushed on the spy thing, which was completely missing from the official jacket. Okay, I know we talk about Harrison Ford, like, way too often, but... (laughs) The vibe of him in this book to me was like a real hot Harrison Ford in the first Indiana Jones movie. Lane. When he's when he's a professor lecturer at the beginning. Lane, I did not put that in my notes, but I 100% was like, hmm, Indiana Jones lecturing. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem, dear listeners, is even when Meg and I don't add notes, we think of the same exact frames of reference. <laughs> yeah. But if if you guys have ever, I mean, I think almost everyone has watched Indiana Jones, but if you guys have ever watched Indiana Jones and been particularly attracted to Harrison Ford when he's teaching and not when he's out adventuring, this is probably the book for you. You do get both sides of him, though, to be oh, clear. Don't worry. You get both. You get I just both. Need, I need to make it very clear how um, my type Alec is. Yes, that's that's exactly it. <laughs> that's that's um, exactly it. So, Meg, what is the defining trope of this book? Well, I mean, there's there's a big one, and it's childhood friends to lovers with a dash of second chance romance. Right, and my love of this is they are both sad, tragic orphans. Yes, taken in by the same guardian. Yes. Who's her family, but he's indebted to. Yes. So everything about their childhood pegs back to, like, a different sort of trope. Yes. And I love it so much. I was going to say, this is a specific trope that speaks very dearly to Lane's heart. So. <laughs> Amen. So why did he disappear for five whole years without a word, Meg? Yeah, well, what happened was he, as as I said in my summary, and as Lane said before my summary, he's a reluctant spy. He don't really want to be a spy. He was raised to be a spy. So the, the person who raised him, Lottie's uncle and his guardian, is England's great spy master, basically. And so he raised Alec to be a spy. But all Alec wanted to do was be an archaeologist and find, you know, dig things up and be an academic. And so, very Lottie. And well, yes, that that was that came slightly later. <laughs> but yes, then the other thing he really wanted to do was marry Lottie. But he was the uncle, the guardian slash uncle, basically scared off Alec by saying, "You're not good enough for her." Um, and if you try to pursue her, I will ruin your life. Yeah, I will ruin your life, uh, which will then ruin hers. So right. skedaddle, basically. Mm-hmm. And he left. He just left. He didn't say goodbye. He didn't say last night meant everything to me. He didn't say anything. He just left. And let her, un- her uncle fill her head with whatever version of the truth he chose. Yes. And unbeknownst to him, the uncle painted him in, like, the world's most unflattering light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so now they're back, and they've got Well, a- they're not back. 
Well, they're in Italy. <laughs> yes. Now he, they're back together, I should say. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in physical proximity with each other now for the first time in five years. Yes. And not only, so he's got to get her back to England. And not only does it turn into a road trip romance, another trope. Uh, it also is a road trip romance while they have a fake relationship going because they have to pretend to be married. Otherwise, they couldn't travel together. Right? Yes. yes. Um, well, they which, pretend to be married, and then sometimes they pretend they're cousins. Yeah, but mostly married. And mostly then, married. And then, which, of course, leads to only one bed in some of the inns. Well, and... I just love how many of these relationships of force proximity things are shoved into these tropes. Yes. Like there's a bathing scene in the only one room at the end. Oh wait, no, there's two. There's the, we awkwardly wake together in the same bed. Yes. Trope. There's like every trope you think can derive from all of this. Absolutely. 100% does. It's the, it's the quick kiss me. They can't suspect, which leads to, Mm -hmm. Oh, we're kissing. <laughs> I mean, it's just, we just, we just loved it. It was just really so much fun. And, you know, it's a romance for someone who loves romance novels and romance tropes. Uh, mm-hmm. and it, was, it was just really well done, I thought. 100%. And the Italian countryside and the hot spy don't hurt. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he's a spy, guys. I don't know if we mentioned that. Well, so not only is he a spy, but they were both raised by the spy master. So Lottie herself is a lady codebreaker. Yeah, right. Yes. So like every kind of tangential thing you can loop in absolutely 100% here. Mm-hmm. And we like, we love this stuff. We love it. Oh, and even their flashbacks are so tropey. Like, first of all, they have a tiny little cottage they would meet up in called the Fairy Cottage. Mm-hmm. Um, he it re- fully realizes and admits his feelings for her at her debut ball and disappears mm-hmm. the next morning. Mm-hmm. There's a near-death experience on their road trip that leads to them finally seizing the moment, though not necessarily being honest with one another. Correct. They're both currently in Italy walking in their dead parents' footsteps. Yes. Like, there's so yes. much here. Oh, my gosh. There's so much. It's so great. Meg, is there anything related to his physical attributes you want to discuss? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you've heard us talk about scars before. but <laughs> Specifically, scars somewhere on the torso yes. attained in the line of spy duty. <laughs> Correct. But she doesn't see until he disrobes. I, well, my favorite part is she has sex with him. Obviously, he disrobed. She's so caught up in the moment. Somebody else has to tell her that he has a bullet wound. <laughs> and then she finds it the next time she sees him naked. And I mean, it's a great, it's a great take on this trope. It's so tropey the way she kisses it. Like, everything about that scene that I was, like, super torn between laughing out loud at, like, with joy. Not with, yeah. like, oh, God, this is bad of how trophy it was and thinking it was like one of the hottest things ever. Like the sexiest thing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. It just brought, it just brought us a lot of joy. There's some mirrors. We'll get there. We'll get there. We, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, we talk about sexiness at the end of the episode guys. So just hold on. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, Lane, are there more tropes you want to talk about or. 
I mean, I think all the rest of them are a little less romancy and a little more plotty. But so yeah. the guardian is obviously calling his estranged wards to his deathbed. Right. Um, her unattractive trait is redheads are ugly, LOL. <laughs> How many times have we read this in a row? So many. <laughs> so funny um, every time. <laughs> the reason her guardian feels he can force her to marry is he still has access to her fortune until she's 25 because of weird provisions and her parents' will. Right, or until she marries, of course. Of course, so you've got will drama, which I think is pretty nor- normal. And I would say the other sex trope here is she sort of lies about her sexual experience and he figures it out during the moment of penetration. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> love this trope. Yeah. But I liked that it didn't derail the scene here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anything else you want to point out, Meg? I mean, honestly, no. I, I'm ready to get into the book. Let's go! I mean, basically, I'm just so impressed that this was a first novel. Right? Definitely. I oh was my reading God. it. I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to say I grade on a curve because it's not that. But I, I was. There are certain first novels that I'm like, wait, this is a first novel. So, like for example, The Raven Prince. How was that a first novel? You know. Well, yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily grading on a curve, but it's recognizing like what the level of skill you expect is. And I think we do the same thing in terms of like self-published versus major publishing house. Yeah. We're a lot less nitpicky about formatting and self-published. I think this is sort of the same thing. Like, I yeah. would not have had any clue this was a debut novel if you had not told me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it also makes me think, wow, that you can only go up too, which is like awesome, you know? Well, and I liked you get meet in this book the guy who's clearly going to be the main character of the second one. Mm-hmm. But his story is not even sort of told in this book. No. I thought she did a good job making it clear this was going to be a series without me feeling like I was overwhelmed by characters trying to set up a universe. Absolutely. But she also did make me want to read Rafe's book. Like, I'm ready to read Rafe's book right now. Oh, 100%. Because, fun fact, guys, he is also a spy <laughs> he's also a spy look i don't know if he's gonna meet our sp- like most specific examples of spy which is the reluctant spy who'd rather be an academic <laughs> but the, the, the series can't play the same note every book you know yeah it's okay if you're a spy it's okay if you love being a spy i don't know i so I will say I like the spies, and I think Rafe is going to fall into this category, the jaded spy. Yeah, well, I also love spies in Venice. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot working for them already. Anyway. Yeah, very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I All mean, right. just to say overall what, like, the criticisms we have of this book are, um, I think in general the plot did not and the conflict did not take away from the romantic relationship Mm -hmm. but some of it did feel a little bit tacked on yeah and we do wish the main characters had worked together and been a little more honest with each other just a little sooner that's that's my my preferred type of conflict resolution in a romance novel (laughs) is they resolve the relationship conflict conflict with themselves and then there's something external that's keeping them from being together or that a mystery they have to solve or someone they Mm -hmm. have to save or whatever like I'm thinking of 
say, Mr. Impossible, where they are going to rescue someone, right? Right. So they're on the same they're on the same team. I think we talk about this relatively often. Actually, we love it when they're on the same team. And it but, was I, but that to a degree is a preference, right? Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like uh, that's just my preference. I think it's our mm-hmm. preference. But you, listener, may not really have the same criticisms we do actually with the book. So I just want to mention that. I well, would have heard think... that they like team mm-hmm. up to solve the final conflict instead of Alex being like super emo about it. I was going to say my problem is less. Yes, of course I agree with you. I wish they teamed up sooner, sooner, but what I think is the criticism is his self flagellating thoughts got a little repetitive toward the end. Yeah, exactly. I, like was, that's where I'd say the, the less personal criticism is, is I wish he'd worked through his issues either in a different way or a little sooner. Mm-hmm. Basically, there's also the, I do like to have um, a hero or a heroine who who is really pursuing the other one is, is really, you know, doesn't let them go, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what was hard for me. Right. Which so. some characters call him out on. <laughs> oh, thank God. Uh, and and the know. thing is, the thing is that Alex, Alec does it twice. So that's what was tough. That said, for all that we're saying, this isn't our favorite form of conflict resolution. Alec is really well developed. I understood his motivations as a reader. I might not have agreed with it, but he was a very well developed character. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. I loved it. Also, something we've complained about before, there's always like the character, the spy usually, who is really good at languages and speaks other Mm -hmm. languages perfectly and can pass for whatever, Italian, French, Portuguese, you name it. Mm-hmm. And Alec is, he's not passing for Italian, but his Italian is so good that he can speak in like different Italian dialects and stuff like that. But it actually makes sense because he grew up in Italy. He grew up in Venice. His mother was Italian. And I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Emily right. Sullivan. It just he made me feel so much better. He was bilingual from birth. Right. I, I, I actually like really loved it. <laughs> Me too. And I don't want to spoil the ending, but I do think it's worth noting that a lot of times in books about spies where the guy's overprotective, Mm -hmm. the book starts out as him trying to protect her from his dangerous and like unseemly way of life. And then the ending resolution is him becoming convinced she can just tack on to his spy life. Yes. And I think that's often very unsatisfying because you don't see them having conversations about what that means for their relationship or their relationships with their family and friends or, you know, even their safety. It all just sort of gets swept under the rug. And without Mm -hmm. spoiling it, I will say that is not the formula this book follows. And I Mm -hmm. really enjoyed that. Like, I would have loved the image of the two of them being continental spies together, but I'm glad this book was better thought out than that. Yeah. Well, and it just it just fit the character development and the characters themselves better. Mm-hmm. Which, Definitely. Again, if you give us good characters, consistent characters, then we're going to really appreciate it if their decisions are in line with their characterization. Right. Like, I may have been frustrated about stuff in this book, but Lottie and Alec were meant to be frustrating you. They were so yes. consistent and so well-developed. And I, like... 
there was not a single choice either of them Raiden the the book that I was like oh that's out of character oh absolutely I was annoyed at Alec for being emo but he's an emo dude you know (laughs) well I was even annoyed at Lottie for like being passive aggressive in scenes where she should have just like been open like I just I really they were so well developed I say annoyed at them in a very like glowing way Right. I mean, it's, it's annoyed. It's annoyed at the characters for acting the way they're supposed to act. It's not being annoyed at the author for writing them inconsistently. Yes. And I will also say as sort of a tangential point to the plot, because this isn't plot related at all. um, The closed port in this book was A+. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Did you, did you not love, so they go, of course they go to a Venetian ball. Oh my God, Lane. That whole scene where she's getting put into her dress, I was like, yup, give me another random, perfectly trained ladies maid slash valet in the middle of nowhere in a foreign country that just happens to turn you into a princess. Like, I'm here for it. I, yes. Thank you. Yes. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Like, yeah, we'll just find this dress, you know? (laughs) Yup. It was, it was like total Cinderella stuff. It was awesome. I loved it. But it wasn't a Cinderella transformation because Lottie was real hot and wearing great clothes all book. Oh, yeah. This was just like the best clothes. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, of course, there was that that jaw dropping jaw dropping moment when Alex sees her. Uh huh. And, you know, I'm not into jealousy, but I do sometimes like the oh, you're wearing that to the ball. Because you look like literal sin. Right? Like, I'm not going to be able to do my secret mission because I'm going to be looking at you all night. I have so many things to say about that, but they get spoilery. So just suffice it to say, I loved everything about that scene. Everything. I loved it. I loved it so much, Lane. (laughs) Like, I want to reread this book again right now. It was so much fun. It's really, it's really, really fun, guys. Such a fun book. And I really liked, I think we've... I think we've talked about it, but I'm just going to say it again. I really liked all the traveling they did and, you know, through Italy. And then they took all these different means of transportation. And again, I know this sounds really stupid, but they took first, they take a cart that, you know, the the, uh, countryman's cart. And then they take the train and then they take a gondola, like the whole thing, everything. (laughs) It was so good. I have to say, like, I love Regency. I love Georgian. I love whatever time period you're going to set your book, but I'm starting to like Victorian just because of the transportation that you get. (laughs) That said, as long as we're in the era of the horse-drawn carriage, I'm fine. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Although that, there was no carriage sex scene though, guys. Well, that's the problem. Just to let you know. (gasps) Did you, I'm sorry, thinking of, there was no sex, there was no transportation sex, but there was this scene, it actually reminded me a lot of Lady Sherlock, Mm -hmm. the scene in the train where this random English lady comes into their first class compartment and she wants Mm -hmm. to know how they met and Alex spins this story that has just enough truth in it. Oh, God. It's, like, heartbreaking. It was so mm-hmm. good, Lane. Oh, my no, God. No, I was so – that was one of the scenes that was the most frustrating because after that, you really want the fact that he was clearly making veiled references to truth 
Mm-hmm. to be something they talked about and they don't they get thrown right into a spy thing mm-hmm. and i'm like oh no babies talk to each other i know but it it worked though no it worked so well oh i loved it so did, i'm sorry anything, i interrupted you no, no 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 i totally forget what i was gonna say don't worry about it <laughs> okay so did anything in this book offend you the the only thing that I there are some content warnings and actually Emily Sullivan posted them herself on her website so I think that's mm-hmm. um, I think that's a, a trend that I'm really liking I'm really enjoying that yep but the only thing that I personally found a little tough was that as she puts in her content warnings that she calls them unwanted advances not by hero. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what got me because I, I thought I thought that it was a little I, I felt like we didn't need it. It was from that, the villain and we didn't mm-hmm. need the villain to be more villainous because he's also going to rape her. You know, agree. I thought that scene was really unnecessary just because yeah. the situation was already high tension enough. Exactly. It, and I know I'm just reiterating what you've said. Like it, it did not add anything. Yeah, and it was creepy I, as hell. Yeah, he was, and he. Here's the thing: the dude is already really creepy, and he's already the villain, and he's already a baddie. So you don't need yeah. to add like sexual harassment on top of it. Or and him like sort of explicitly saying he's into the idea of her not consenting. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that that was the only one that that really kind of bugged me. There's actually another time where. Um, they're in Italy, and these two dudes say something, like, really nasty, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which, uh, I, that didn't offend me, and it actually didn't feel, like, out of place, you know? No, and she doesn't go into detail about what specifically they said, because that's not important. That, too. Yeah. So. I will say the only thing, this isn't offensive, but this is sort of an overarching trope that we've alluded to, but I want to say it really specifically. Mm-hmm. This book is about Lottie's autonomy. Yeah. Like her guardian and Alec made a decision for her without consulting her five years ago. Her uncle is now trying to force her into a social paradigm and marriage she is not interested in. And even Alec through the book continues to do what he think is best, thinks is best for her without actually listening to her. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately that's a conflict that isn't resolved until literally the very last page the very very end yep like the very last chapter the very last sequence so I I will say that was the one thing that if you really hate heroines that are constantly advocating for their own autonomy to sort of deaf ears like this is definitely that yeah which it, it is historically accurate but it's you know it's it's tough well and I I thought Sullivan did a really good job with it in the sense that they knew each other as children. He's four years older than her. So Alec even thinks to himself, he still pictures her as the like debutante and prior that he fled, not this right. adult woman who's much more capable. And he's having to reconcile the woman before him with the memories of sort of the sweet girl who's evolved into this paragon in his mind. Well, so it's and it's justified in text in a way that I thought was really well done, but I do know yes. some people who just hate this trope. Yes. Um, I will say also they 
her uncle has been controlling the narrative for both of them. Yes. So her uncle has been telling Alec things about Lottie and mm -hmm. he's been telling Lottie things about Alec. They have not been communicating with each other over these five right. years, but they've heard about each other through her uncle, mm -hmm. which again, I think added to why for the reader, it made it a lot easier to understand why they weren't talking to each other or, you know, where these misconceptions were coming from. Right. So I, it, it just was really well done. I thought so. Totally agree. Did you feel like the uncle's redemption was earned? No, I didn't. On Me the other either. hand, he was about to die. So I also was like, okay, I, I understand like, forgiving someone who's about right. to die you know 100 percent. So not a spoiler it's in the jacket <laughs> yeah, in the jacket. It, it didn't bug me the way let, let's take a let's take a recent release um a lady's formula for love at the ending of that one right there's no redemption but there was sort of forgiveness of this person that i would not have forgiven and right. here because of the circumstances i was i was willing to be a little more lenient <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of caveating. I think in some ways I would have liked some of the earlier choices to be fleshed out, but at least the more recent ones you kind of understand. You don't understand in the sense of it's justified, but you understand why the characters could come to kind of let bygones become bygones. Exactly. Yeah. So um, sexiness. This book is really super sexy, guys. So the first kiss happens in the first scene they have together. Yes. Which I love I'm it. never going to complain about. Never. Then it's a whole lot of trying desperately to resist each other while in close proximity. There's the there's the the thing that happens where we've seen it in a few books. Um, so we're I guess we're talking about sex tropes now, guys. <laughs> where they have to sleep in the same bed and they're like, Oh, you stay on that side and I'll stay on this side, but of course they wake up and they're like plastered together <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's so sexy but there was a little I thought that scene was really cute mm -hmm. with what that. they both weren't admitting to themselves and each other it's it's very well done so even though there isn't a whole lot of actual contact between the two of them or like anything you describe as like a sexy a sex scene in a pretty significant part of the book the unresolved sexual tension and the like near misses are so palpable that like I sort of forgot they hadn't hooked up yet. Yeah. Well, in it when they did finally hook up, it felt really earned because I was like, yeah, they've been building up for this. You know, they deserve it. <laughs> and the payoff was satisfactory. Payoff was satisfactory. And then I will just say, I think Lane mentioned this before. There is so he's living in this old um venetian palace right mm -hmm. that's like crumbling and, around him and only half of it's habitable and oh it's so for, romantic i was gonna say for some reason this just makes it more sexy you know mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's this like old vanity with the the three-way mirror you know mm -hmm. and um i'll just say that it does play a part in one of their sex scenes i wanted to ask you specifically how you felt about the blowjob here I had no problems with it, Lane. I had a hunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. 
sorry. No, I had zero <laughs> problems with how this went down. Wink, wink. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> I also yeah, was no. really happy. Like, let's just put it this way. In a non-spoilery way, because I do think the sex scene does a lot about their relationship, too. I think with how angsty their relationship had sort of been up to that point for all of the book, it's a fun romp. Mm-hmm. I sort I was worried that they were going to have this one sex scene where they're both still not being honest with one another about their feelings. Yeah. And then it'd be one of those things where they're immediately fighting the next morning. Yeah. That is not how it went down. And nope. I actually think that was the moment I was like, I don't just like this book. I love this book. <laughs> like it would have been so easy to like make the sex, the conflict. And the fact yeah. that not only did she resist doing that, but the sex then continued. Yes. Just slow claps all around. Really wonderfully well done. Really? Yeah. That was, that was Lane's moment, I guess. <laughs> uh, 100 per- well I mean my moment was really the second they said Alec is an Etruscan expert slash spy but then <laughs> <laughs> everything else just added on <laughs> right the second I said Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones you all knew where this was going Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones but the academic part yeah <laughs> oh my gosh um, so we really, really recommend this book. Uh, she's a new author. This is a new series. And you can bet we will be reviewing the next one as well. So thank you to both Emily Sullivan and NetGalley for this one, because I am really glad I read it. Yeah. And again, like I said at the very beginning, we were already ready for Rake's book. Rake? Rafe's book. <laughs> I have a hunch that was accurate. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet at Plotress. Um, That would be on Goodreads and Instagram.